This is the One Thing Podcast, where we teach you the surprisingly simple truth behind extraordinary results. My name is Jeff Woods. I'm the vice president here at the One Thing team. On page 114 of The One Thing, you have the seven circles, the seven most important areas of your life. The circle we're going to be talking about today is your key relationships. No one succeeds alone. When you think about achieving what you want out of your life, it requires that you have the support of the people around you. Question is, are you in relationship with the right people? Are you being intentional about investing in the relationships that matter most? For many of us, that answer is no. This month, we sat down with a best-selling author, the author of Friend of a Friend, to talk about how hidden networks can transform your life and your career. This is part of our monthly One Thing webinar series, where every month we sit down with a best-selling author to introduce you to new ideas and books that we think are aligned with The One Thing. If you'd like to learn about our upcoming webinar, go to theonething.com slash monthly webinar, and you can see more and sign up there. In this episode, you're going to learn why you don't really need to be networking to meet new people and how most of the relationships and access to the people that you need can be gained by tapping into the people that you're already in relationship with and some of the key habits that you can go about forming so that over the next 12 months, you completely transform the quality of your relationships. With that, let's get into this episode with author of Friend of a Friend, David Burkus. Eating healthy is an investment. It's an investment in yourself, but it also often requires an investment of your time. But good news is Factor has delicious ready-to-eat meals that are ever fresh and never frozen. They're chef-created, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. With Factor, you can choose from a weekly menu of up to 35 options, including popular things like Calorie Smart or Keto Direction or Protein Plus or Vegan and Veggie. Also discover 60 more add-ons every week like breakfast on the go, lunch, snacks, beverages to help you stay fueled, feel good all day. And we know our listeners here at The One Thing are focused on health and health goals. That's why we choose to partner with Factor. And if you visit factormeals.com slash 150 and use code 150, you can get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Again, that's factormeals.com slash ONE50 and use code ONE50 to get 50% off your first month plus 20% off your next month. Hey, everyone. Welcome to our monthly One Thing webinar series. Once a month, we have a free webinar where we feature a best-selling author, somebody whose book we think is aligned with the principles of The One Thing as a way just to expand your mind and to continue going down that path of mastery together. And I, I'm excited about this one. It's a topic that's near and dear to my heart, uh, the topic of relationships. Um, many of you know, I heard that Jim Rohn quote, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with, which, man, if you sit back and ask yourself, who are the five people that I'm really spending the most time with right now? And are they living the kind of life I want to be living? I think most of us can agree that we have an opportunity uh, to improve some of our five. Not to say that um, the other people don't stay in our world, but it's just a matter of intentionally surrounding ourselves with people who are where we want to be. And that then raises the challenge, well, how do you upgrade your five? How do you go about getting into relationship with the people who can open the doors and 
be the people that you need to be around. And that's going to be the topic of today's conversation. So I'm excited to talk about what does it look like to be more productive and purposeful in forming relationships with the right people? What do those habits look like? And we're sitting down with someone who is an expert in this. Uh, The man that you're going to meet today is a best-selling author. He's an associate professor of leadership and innovation at the Oral Roberts University. Uh, He has a new book out called Friend of a Friend, which offers a new perspective on how to grow networks, not based on just a bunch of stuff that you see all over the internet, but real based on real science of human behavior. Um, he's got a TED Talk that's been viewed over 1.9 million times, and he's a regular contributor for the Harvard Business Review. And I'm excited to kick things off today with the November guest for the One Thing webinar series, David Burkus. This is going to be a fun one today, folks. So... Um, David, give us a, give us the the Reader's Digest version of yourself and how you ended up writing a book around forming powerful relationships. Yeah, so um, the 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 sort of elevator pitchy way to say it is, I write books that help people do some of their best work ever. I was trained as an organizational psychologist. I learned pretty quickly that I'm a absolute junk researcher. I don't enjoy doing the original research all that well. But I was an undergrad English major, and I'm a, a pretty decent storyteller. And so I realized there's an opportunity to sort of connect these two communities, get good ideas about how we work and how we uh, interact with people, get them out of the ivory tower, get them into the office to the people that actually need them. And so that's what I've been doing for the better part of the last 10 years. Um, the newest effort in that is the book Friend of a Friend, which is all about relationships, connections, networks from the standpoint of network science, not just from, hey, this is my advice. I did this and it worked well for me. You should try it too type of a thing. Very nice. What's that connotation that you have with with the word networking? Is it a positive thing? Is it something you're like, oh, networking is not working? What? Where do you stand on that? So the really fascinating study that we actually talk about in the introduction of the book When uh, these researchers took groups of people and they asked some of them to think about a time where they had to make a new professional connection to network and others to just think about uh, when did you meet a new friend, then they gave them a series of tests designed to get to their subconscious. I'll I'll, I'll simplify. Basically, what they found is that the people in the networking group were more likely to have subconscious thoughts of wanting to get clean. In other words, networking made them feel dirty, right? (laughs) I think a lot of us are probably in that regard. It feels very transactional. It's the sales yeah. event where everybody's selling, but no one's buying, et cetera. And, and it's, it's, it, to me, it's actually a symptom of a bigger misconception, which is that networking is about, uh, about meeting new people, about running up the score of connections you have on LinkedIn or, or whatever. And so we head to all of these events trying to meet strangers. And the reality where I come at it from friend of a friend is that you you don't you can't grow a network anyway. You don't have a network. You exist inside of a network. And your job is to figure out where you are in that network, who is connected to whom, and how you can provide value for the relationships that you already have, and then grow and go from there. Yeah, well, I loved when we we talked before the this this idea of networking or or forming the right relationships. It's not about going out and casting this big wide net and trying to get into relationship with everyone. It starts with one person. Yeah. One person that you already know and start just one person at a time over time beginning to get in a relationship with everyone you could possibly want to. So talk walk us through that a little bit. Yeah, I mean, like we were saying, and like you just said beautifully, you already know people. You already have a network. I mean, unless you're like 14, 15 years old, in other words, I'm really impressed that you're with us and listening to this if you're, if you're that young. But unless you're there, 
you probably already know people, people you went to uh, high school with, university with, people you used to work with, people you currently work with, and you only ever see them when there's cake in the break room. Like there's, there's a whole group of people that in network science, we call your weak or your dormant ties, people you know, but you don't know that well. And what's interesting is most of us, when we need help, we rely on that close contact, the, the five people that you spend the most time with. By the way, we need to go back to that because there's a, a fascinating thing about who's all influencing you in that five. I'll remember. Um, we think about those close connections. What we don't think about are these weak ties and specifically what, what a lot of sociologists call your dormant ties, the people that you just haven't talked to in a while. And they're actually the most, some of the most valuable relationships you have in terms of getting where you want to go, accomplishing what you want to accomplish because they are somewhere else in the network. Your close friends, you all have access to the same information. You're usually all friends with the same people. You all think alike. The, the literal term in, in network science is redundancy. You are somewhat redundant to each other in terms of new perspectives and new opportunities. So it's the people that are a bit further out, the weak and dormant ties, that uh, are your much more valuable connections in this regard. The problem is that most of us sort of ignore those people. We forget about them. And that's, that's natural and that's human. Uh, but then when we need help, right? Then we think, oh, I got to go. I read some advice book somewhere that said this thing about weak and dormant ties. And so I'm going to reach back out to those people. And I bet a lot of the people that have negative connotations about networking are even thinking about that. That person they haven't talked to in two years that suddenly sends them a LinkedIn request and then asks for something or tries to sell them a car or a copier or something ridiculous, right? In reality, I think we only earn the right to, to ask if we're choosing to sort of continuously reconnect with those weak and dormant ties so that we're regularly having conversations with them and that we're regularly having opportunities to create value for them first. So one of the habits I really encourage a lot of people to do is to really try and get in the habit of reconnecting with one weak tie a week. It takes as little as 30 seconds. If you if you can't think of anybody, it might take a few more minutes to just, you know, sort of LinkedIn or Facebook stalk them to see what they're up to and find a reason to reach back out to them. But truthfully, the first couple of times, you could literally just ping someone and go, hey, you popped into my head today uh, because I saw this thing. And I just wanted to know, I hope you're doing well. You know, No need to reply. I just want you to know I was thinking about you. That's an email yeah. that I think every single person would love to get. And so there's no need to feel awkward sending it. So let's let's pull up to 40,000 feet because I think we've hit on a few things here that, that matter. Uh, I know for me personally, before having these conversations with you, uh, in my mind, the idea of networking was going outside and getting into relationship with new people with the hope that they would open more doors. And what I'm hearing you say is it isn't going out and getting into new relationships. It's more a matter of consistently touching the relationships you've already established, specifically the ones that maybe you haven't touched base with in a little while, those, those ones on the outskirts that are a little bit more dormant. Is that correct? Yeah, no, that's a great, great way to put it. Now, why why is it that those are some of the most powerful ones? So they're they're powerful for the same reason that strangers would be powerful, right? Because they're somewhere else in the broader network of our city or our industry or whatever, you know, however far out zooming out on the network we want to look. They're, if they're far away from you, then they know different people. They're connected to different people. They usually have different perspectives different ideologies, different backgrounds, different histories. And so they can expose you to information. The, the primary reason to be concerned about the network that you're in and about networking in general is information, whether that's information in the form of a referral to somebody, an introduction to somebody for a job opportunity, or just hearing a different voice than you normally hear so you can make a better decision. 
So just like total strangers, they're, they're out there and they think a little bit different than you compared to those close contacts. The difference is that you already know them. You've already built rapport with them. They're more motivated to help you than a total stranger would be. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, we've all been to that networking event where none of the, nobody's motivated to help you. They're motivated to get help. <laughs> right. And that's not that's not saying this is this weird thing that you can kind of just take advantage of. But there's already a relationship there. You've already built what what sociologists call social capital. You've already sort of made some deposits in the account. And so it's OK to withdraw from it. Whereas with total strangers, there is no rapport there. There's no social capital there. So they have lots of new information, but there's no rapport. So I'd like to make this actionable for people who are listening to this and for the people who are here live. Let's just interact on this. Think of one person. One person that you have a relationship with, and it's been a while. It just, life has happened, time has passed, and you're like, you know what? There's not necessarily a reason we haven't connected, we just haven't connected. Think of one person, put their name in the question box. Let's just get clarity on it and declare it together. I've got one, I'm gonna put it in there. Now, what I'm hearing you say, David, is um, the one thing to not do. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good way to put it. Is to pick up the phone and start calling in favors when you haven't put any deposits in that in that relationship bank account. Correct. So what is this? I'm, I'm asking the question. There's the entrepreneurial way to approach this of just picking up, winging it, and having the conversation. And then I'm asking if we want to play this at the highest level, what's that model that somebody would follow so that when they're reaching out, they're the type of person that's coming from value? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you what I actually like to do the most, which is uh, it involves a little bit of internet stalking. I know that feels weird, but what you you actually did a great job saying, hey, pick a name. I, I a lot of times start with the assumption that you don't have the name. And so what I tell people is to play social media roulette. Go to your Facebook or your LinkedIn, or your Twitter, whatever you use most often, go to the list of connections, scroll all the way down to the bottom because they're organized by who you interacted with most frequently. So the people at the bottom are people you haven't talked to in a very long time. Mm. Click on their name and see what they're up to. And you're going to find, I mean, the the beautiful thing about social media, I mean, the horrible thing is we're all narcissists. The beautiful thing is that we're all sharing what's going on in our life. We're posting it openly. And so you'll see when you click on that name, people saying things like, hey, I just got a new job or we're moving to Chicago or we just had a new baby. You'll see a life update that you can send them a congratulations for and then maybe even offer advice. Like for the moving to Chicago one, you could say like, hey, I see you're moving to Chicago. I'll save you a ton of time. Just go to Gino's East. The rest of the deep dish pizza places are terrible. And then <laughs> move on with your with your your day, right? So the the idea is that you're going I'm waiting back. for the contingency from Chicago that starts to chime in. Like, no. I, know, right? I mean, you know, Giordano's is a close second, but there's the, the ambiance. Anyway, we don't have to get into why. Distraction. Focus. There you go. So you 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 look for something that's going on in their life, and at the very least, you offer congratulations. At the best, you offer congratulations and some other uh, tips, some other piece of value. Here's the key, though: you don't do it in that social network, right? Because everybody's clicking like and comment, and it's just this deluge, and you can't tell what's going on. You go to a more intimate medium. If you have their uh, number to send a text or give a phone call to, great. If you don't, you can get their email pretty quickly because you're connected to them. Send them something that's a bit more private, a bit more meaningful. And then I actually like to end that email with no reply needed, which is a big signal that says, I'm not looking for anything. I just, I hope you're doing well. I wanted to check in with you. I wanted to offer this thing. And I do that consistently. I try to do one to two every single week. And then when there is a weak tie where I might actually need something from, then I've got some of that rapport to ask the favor. The other thing that happens, the reason I've got that rapport, that social capital, 
is that usually even though I wrote no reply needed, they write something else. We get into a conversation. We catch up. I found a way to unlock even more value for them. And then we go from there so that when it comes time to, to actually need to reach back out to weaker dormant ties for help, it's just one more in a series of conversations we have every couple yeah. of months. Yeah, and I think that's important because I just... How many of you know what it feels like when um, someone reaches out to you and you just you feel like oh, you're so busy? Like this is just one more email that now I've got to type. Like, what's new in your life? Well, great. How much time you got? Um, versus being able to reach out to not put that burden on people to let them know that hey, I'm just thinking about you. I hope all is well. If you have time to reply, awesome. If you're busy, no response needed. I just want to let you know that I'm thinking about you. I mean. It's, it's quote the thought that counts. Um, I think that's nice. I really do like that. So this idea of six degrees of separation, right? The idea that we can be connected to just anybody across the across the globe through through six degrees. How does that start to come into play here? Okay, so I'm gonna get really nerdy real fast, but it'll be okay. You just gotta trust me. Right? As long as it involves Kevin Bacon, we're good. It, it will involve Kevin Bacon, but you're gonna be disappointed. <laughs> So, so six degrees of separation, this, this really interesting concept that wasn't actually even like a, a research theory first. It was just this kind of random thing that people started talking about. And then a gentleman, the term six specifically, because um, before that, it was just you do that thing where you're in a new city and you meet someone who knows someone from your old city. And you go, oh, what a small world. Before six degrees of separation, we called it the small world problem. And this researcher, mm-hmm. Stanley Milgram, the same Stanley Milgram of the obedience studies and all sorts of crazy social experiments that you could never get away with conducting in 2018. But Stanley Milgram actually did an experiment where he reached out to people in what he considered to be the farthest edge of the earth, Omaha, Nebraska. And then he gave those people a a name, a stockbroker in Cambridge, Massachusetts. And he said, get this message to that person. If you don't know them directly, send it to the best person that you could possibly, you know, that would get this message to them eventually. And then of the letters that came in, not all of them came in, not even a majority of came in, right? But of the letters that came in, what they found is that the average was between five to six liaisons between that, five to six introductions. Now, this study was done before the power of the internet and times where we seek to replicate it using email and things like that, speed it up, increase the sample size, but they still find about five to six introductions. So you really are connected to the Mm -hmm. entire world, 7.4 billion people strong and counting by five or six introductions. That's why I always say you don't have a network, you exist inside of one already. The other lesson that I think is interesting is Facebook, of all places, did a version of the Stanley Milgram study a couple years ago, and they found that if you have a Facebook account, it's actually only three to four introductions, sometimes mm-hmm. 4.2, something like that. Now, there's two things about that. One, uh, Facebook is only 2 billion people instead of 7.4 billion people. But the other is what we call the problem of search in social networks. So Facebook could use an algorithm to find the most optimal path between two people, and it arrived around four. Stanley Milgram and all the other people couldn't. They were just people relying on thinking about who they know, sending it out to the closest person they know, Sometimes they took an inefficient path. Now, why do I bring all of this up, right? We'll get to Kevin Bacon in a second, but why I bring all of this up is that when most of us think about six degrees of separation, we immediately get lost in the 7.4 billion people and we lose sight of the fact that there are tens, if not hundreds of millions of potential people that you are connected to by one or two introductions. And 
that the best approach at the beginning of your search is openness, not what we tend to do, which is reverse stalking. We find the person that we want to get introduced to. We sort of scope them out. We see who they already know. That's a mutual connection. And then we go beg that mutual connection for an introduction, which puts that person in the really awkward spot of maybe they won't do or maybe they don't want to give you the introduction. But it may actually be the least efficient path eventually to that person or to what you're trying to do. So what I tell a lot of people to do is instead of that, go to as many people as you can and ask the question, who do you know in blank? With blank being the industry, the company, the the region, the city, whatever that you want to get to know. And what you'll get are lists of names. You'll get three or four names from different people. If you get the same name from multiple people, that's a really good sign. But you'll get lots of different names and you get lots of different avenues to explore. The likelihood that that person that you're working backwards trying to find a path to, the, the Warren Buffett, right? That's probably not the best person for you. The likelihood you say, who do you know in blank? And you meet someone that has the time for you and can actually like coach you up and, and develop you. That's a way better option. And you only get it because you took an open search instead of a closed one. Yeah, I want to I want to drive this home because I remember um, I didn't realize this along my journey to getting here. But when it came to finding mentors, it was easy to look at the person who was on stage the big name author, the celebrity entrepreneur and say, if I could just have that person as my mentor, everything else would be easier or unnecessary. But you're just, you're pointing the finger because you, they seem to be successful or where you want to be without any understanding of who they really are as a person. Are you guys actually a personality fit? Do they actually have the time and are, are they willing to invest in you? And instead, I like to use Warren Buffett, Sure, I think it would be wonderful if Warren Buffett could mentor us personally on wealth building. And good luck. Yet, if you had to describe the two to three things that Buffett does really well, and you're able to describe those things, how can you surround yourself with people who have those types of values or principles or track record? And to be able to be more generic around that and see who comes your way, um, it's a more abundant approach. And you'd be amazed what ends up getting dropped in your lap. Yeah, I mean, that, that's the thing is if, if you don't have a network, you exist inside of one, you don't know who's at the fringes of that network. You don't know who's one introduction away from you. And you might find a much more valuable person is hidden around the corner from someone that you got to that name from who you know in blank that is, is far more valuable than the person you're trying to sort of snake your way to. I mean, the other thing that happens sometimes is you find a better path to that person you were trying to meet anyway. Yeah. Um, because you're, you end up finding it's the craziest thing, but you end up like, I'll give you a great example of this. So I write books, I have a publisher, I have an editor in that publisher, and that editor has a boss and a boss's boss and a boss, blah, 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 blah. As I'm trying to get networked in while I'm wanting to close the deal on the first book with that publishing house, I'm asking a lot of people, hey, who do you know that works in, in this particular company or in publishing in New York City? And I find out that like a friend of mine that I met a couple years ago does bar with one of basically who is my editor's boss's boss, right? And so now there's this introduction, there's this person saying nice things about me to the person in charge of the guy who I want to bid on the book, right? But like bar class, who would have thought to do that? We normally don't. You look like if a bar kind of guy. Do I, I look like a bar kind of guy? Yeah. <laughs> those are are these, these are from Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It's a very different sport from... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Salima has asked a lot of great questions. And, and one that I really liked is, uh, are there places where it's not good to make new contacts when it comes to business? Places where it's not good to make new contacts. So 
Um, places I don't know. that maybe people tend to go that we actually should be avoiding. Well, I mean, there's there's certain uh, like there's certain norms inside of certain places. Like you know, the restroom is a great example of like where you're not supposed to be networking. I, I think if I can spin the question a bit, because um, where I think it's headed is just where, what industries, what sectors, and what have you. But what I think is actually really interesting is to me, there's two different strategies around networking. There's the big go broad. And then there is the try and actually find a cluster. This is a whole different section, different chapter that we in front of a friend where we talk about that people just naturally cluster around industries, backgrounds, training, what have you. And like, it, particularly if you're in something like a sales role, you, you might think you want to go broad and just meet as many possible people. But the reality is you probably don't. You probably want to pick a cluster and then be the liaison from your company or your industry to that. So like I was just talking with a former student of mine maybe four days ago and he was he got into personal finance. He was he's a financial advisor who sells all sorts of financial products. And he was asking, you know, trying to basically do the I need to meet as many people as possible, refer me as many possible. And I and I was like literally, I said, you know, your your dad is a small business owner. Your uncle is a small business owner. You know several people from being in the entrepreneurship club when you were here this week. You shouldn't be trying to meet everyone. You should be learning as much as possible about small as in less than 10 employees' businesses and what their financial problems are. And you should get known as the guy for that industry and that small business. And then you're much more referable, but also it's much easier to sort of build that reputation and build that social capital if you just stick to a cluster. So I'm not 100% sure if it answers the question, but I think it's a good thing to remember that bigger is not better. Right, more social capital right. when you give a cluster is better. I think Salima, that my my take on your question is, um, I don't think we need to overcomplicate it. Start by tapping into the network that you already have. Throughout your life, however long you have been here on this earth, you have formed a series of relationships. Investments have been made, and a lot of those investments have gone dormant. We just haven't purposely invested in those relationships in a while. What will your model be for regularly touching? Whether it's one a week, two a week. I mean, one of mine is just I stick everybody's birthday on my calendar, and it's just it's a it's a weekly thing where I'm just constantly firing off, and it's not text messages. Usually, I'm shooting a video text. Oh, I'm I like shooting that. the video, and I'm texting it because I know it'll stand out. And sometimes I'm doing it the day before so that I can be the first one. Um, just just little things like that. Um, David, I think what's interesting is when when you start to get in front of somebody who's new, it always seems like within the first one, two, three max questions. So what do you do? Mm. Why is that? Um, why would you suggest that that's not something we should bring up it right away in conversation? Yeah, to me, this one is crazy. And I even kind of poked fun of it right when we came on with, well, here's my elevator pitch. I'm not a big fan of the elevator pitch because I'm not a big fan of the question. And, and here's the primary reason is that if we think about, in a, specifically in a work context. When we meet new people, whether it's at a company meeting, whether it's at a networking event or a conference or something like that, we're in a work context, which is great. But in network science, there's this phenomenon called multiplexity. It's a really fancy word. It's an SAT word. So you know, if you ever are taking a standardized test, you'll probably see it. And it, it refers to the different contexts for connection. So if you only know somebody in one context, you only see each other at bar class, for example, that's a uniplex tie. That's just one situation in which you see them, one context for your relationship. If you see each other at bar class and you volunteer for the same nonprofit and you work in a different company, but in the same office suite or something like that, 
um, there's multiple different contexts for connection. So we, and we know from research a couple of things that I think are really interesting. One is that you never actually know where these multiple different contexts go. So business history is full of partnerships that came from really unlikely sources. But the, the, the second, and I think the more important, is that we know you build a deeper relationship faster with someone when you build a multiplex tie, when you find what some people will call the, the uncommon commonalities in the room. If you're at a tech conference, everyone's there for tech. Everyone has that in common. If you're also like one of only three people that also really like um, running triathlons, um, I'm trying to think of something that's not necessarily tech-related. Coding and triathlons don't seem to be related, but that's a total guess. I'm sure I'm going to get hate mail for later. Um, if, If you find that thing with them, now you have two contexts for connection, two different things that you can talk about. You build a deeper relationship faster with someone. Now, the problem, take it all back to the problem of, so what do you do? So what do you do is a giant signal that I want to have a work-only conversation, that I want to keep the conversation in work. You're already in a work context. So wherever the conversation goes, it's probably going to come back to the reason you're in that room. So why not open the conversation with something that's a bit more uh, exploratory, right? So I'll I'll encourage people to ask about habits or hobbies or um, past history, like where did you grow up and what have you. The, the, The key way to remember it to me is that humans are multifaceted and so we should be multifascinated with them if we're trying to build a deeper relationship. Say that again. That was good. Humans are multifaceted. And so we should be multifascinated with them if we're trying to build a better relationship. What are some of your go-to favorite questions when you are talking to somebody for the first time? Yeah. So um, I really like, where did you grow up? Because it's an opportunity to tell a story. Um, I like, what are your favorite uh, habits? I actually, a lot of times default to... Uh, what what are you most excited about right now? Because you could answer something at work, but you could tell me that your your 18 month old just learned how to walk, right? And now we explore mm-hmm. that. Oh, we both have toddlers, right? You you basically give power to the other person to answer in whatever domain that they want. Um, I'm also a bit of a nerd, so what's your favorite superhero? Is one that I throw out a couple times in in context. I mean, you sort of have to know that that question is going to fly, but because the reason I ask it is that everyone has a favorite superhero. And a story behind why that's their favorite superhero. Or if they don't, it's because they don't like superheroes. And that's a story too. And so you can sort of, it's, it's not so much the answer to the question. It's the why after that opens up this really interesting story. Mine has always been, or not always been, but one I like to go to is just to pivot on that is out of everything that's going on in your world right now, like what's, what's that one thing that's really just got you excited? Yeah. And, you know, it comes off as genuine, which it is. Yeah, uh, that's a great one. You can also go to like the what are you most what are you most grateful for, which is sort of back. Mm, yeah. I like that. That's cool. I like the latest. There's a there's a couple different latest trips in there, or I think they're from this from Mike. They're both from Mike. But what was your latest trip that you took? Which is great because it could be oh, cool. business, it could be personal. They can answer it however they want. And then if you think about a conversation like a tennis match, like your goal isn't is actually not to score a point. Your goal is to keep volley. Right. And so what's your latest trip is great because of the follow up questions you can ask. It keeps that volley going back and forth. Walk me through your mindset a little bit, because um, I think many of us know what it's like when you ask. There's the oh, you should ask these questions because it's polite or you're trying to build rapport. And then there's the are you actually even interested in what they have to say? Oh, yeah. I mean, my God, if you're if you're not interested in their answers to the question, please don't ask these. Right. It's not going to go over well. And in fact, if you're not interested why are you there, right? So I'm starting from the place that you're genuinely interested in, in learning about the person. And so whatever question, I don't, I don't like to say, don't ask this question, ask this one instead. I like to give that list, that range of different options. 
because you've got to craft something that's authentic to you that you're actually interested in, right? Mm -hmm. If work is not your jive, then a hobbies question is probably going to be something you're more interested in than what the most exciting project they're working on now is or or what have you. So um, the other thing, I mean, I think it just, it pays to be interested in people if for no other reason that when you're generally interested in people, you come off as more interesting. Um, So you could, you could, craft whatever fascinating elevator pitch you want, then have it down to the perfect number of words and whatever, people yeah. won't remember that. People will remember that you were genuinely interested in it. Well, it's, it's fascinating. And I think all of us have had that experience where you were talking to somebody and they just could not stop talking about themselves. And it's like nails on a chalkboard. You just want to run away. Versus the person that sits there with just great eye contact and genuinely just cannot stop asking enough questions about you. And it seem, always seems to be the best conversations because it feels good when people take an interest in you. And even if they don't talk about themselves, you walk away feeling like, wow, that person was awesome. Yeah, Pretty- uh, again, I mean, I, I, I'm weird. I, part of this might be extroversion. It might be something else. But I just think people are fascinating. I think their stories are amazing. And so I like to be that person. But I've also noticed, that, yeah, if you're constantly making that eye contact, you're asking the follow-up questions that come. So again, that's the big signal. If you say like, what was your latest trip? And they're like, oh, you know what? We finally, we took the grandkids to uh, where uh, the beach house that I grew up going to. Like, And then you're like, oh, that's great. So what do you do? Then that's not going to work, <laughs> right? But if you start talking about, where is that? Where did you grow up? What did you like about that, that community, et cetera? If you start asking those questions, I mean, not only is that the be a good human thing to do, you end up being more memorable in their mind because you took a genuine interest in them. I, I remember um, this was when I was still in Southern California. I was still in medical sales, and I was um, I had started to get in a relationship with some pretty interesting mentors. And one of them invited me to his company's holiday party, and my wife was with me. And I walked into the room, and there were some very heavy hitters in there that I was super excited. And um, my wife described it as though I was a shark swimming through water, just like smelling blood. Like I just, even when I was talking to somebody, my head was swiveling. I'm looking over everyone's shoulder to like see who's that next person that I could be talking to. And she pulled me outside and she said, What is wrong with you? And I'm like, What are you talking about? She's like, What was that thing that you told me? Be more interested than interesting. She's like, You just, you could not be less interested in the people you're actually talking to. How do you actually start showing some interest in the people you're having conversations with? And I was like, oh, thank you. And when I walked back in, um, I remember just asked, t- asking myself, how can I just find one thing about this person where they need help? And how can I find one way to bring value to this person that was going to silence the rest of the room? And it um, ended up being such an incredible conversation. And I had no clue who this person was, and but it opened some pretty interesting opportunities that I, I would not have perceived to have been possible, especially just by looking at them and trying to size them up. And I think it's really interesting how um, sometimes we show up in the room looking to get when oftentimes we just got to show up looking to give. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. Your wife is a really good wingman. I mean, yeah. I, it feels weird saying my The only thing my wife does in terms of wingman is we have this trick where I can uh, get away with forgetting people's names because she's been prepared. But other than that, like, yeah, your wife's a pretty good wingman. Yeah, yeah, we should do that more. We should do that more. So um, there's a great question, another one from Salima. How do you make new contacts if you seem to be changing and growing and you want to meet other like-minded people? 
So how do you make new contacts as you're you're changing yeah. and growing? You're, I mean, you are evolving who you are as a human being. I think all the people yeah. on this live webinar, the people listening to the podcast later, they're growth-minded people. So they're constantly shifting and changing. And how do you go about continuing to surround yourself with people who are pushing that limit? Yeah. So what I, what I love about this is there's actually a really interesting kind of phenomenon, discovery, et cetera, from the world of network science that I think speaks to this a lot. Um, it's another fancy SAT word. So I'm going to geek out for a second. Uh, it's called homophily, right? Love of saying... Oh, you're going to have to spell that one. Yeah. Uh, H-O-M-O-P-H-I-L-E. I literally almost said F instead of P-H. I, that, um, I was just wondering if... It, there you go. Good. Yeah. Um, it, it's from the Greek. It translates to love of same, you know, like attract likes, birds of a feather flock together. Now, here's what's really interesting about that. A couple of years ago, two network scientists, one of them is one of my favorite people in the universe in terms of research, Duncan Watts. Um, they basically took email data from an entire university, like 40,000 students, faculty and staff university, and took all of the reply alls out, but then used it to construct an ever-changing network of the university throughout the year to see who was talking to who and how did people meet new connections, who, what have you. And what they found was that just organically, people started to cluster around similar interests, similar backgrounds. They started to get less diverse. They started to get more ideologically sort of the same. Mm -hmm. The reason I bring this up is twofold. One, that's the, the force in the universe that you are fighting against when you're trying to grow. The people that are around you, and if you just rely on the people that are currently around you, they're going to introduce you to other self-similar people. So over time, you just get more and more self-similar. And when you start breaking out, that's going to be a little weird for them too. So there's going to be a strong force to kind of bring you back in. Humans just sort of naturally do this. And we can see it in a lot of interesting data sets. We know, I mean, we're recording this the day after a midterm election. We know that not at the state level and not at the county level, but at the neighborhood level, people are clustering off by political ideology, right? Blue neighborhoods get bluer, red neighborhoods get red. At that, the neighborhood level, right? So this is the force of, of like attracting like that we're fighting against. The mm -hmm. other reason I bring that up is that if you just say, oh, I'm a growth-minded individual, but you don't make a, an active plan for uh, meeting new people who are going to take you there, then this is the force that's just going to bring you right back to the fold. Now, how do you do it? You audit your network. So what I encourage people to do is take like the top two dozen, 24, 25 people that you interact with the most frequently, put them on a list, then put whatever you want to sort of sort for diversity in. It could be you know mindset diversity. It could be what do they do as a job because I'm looking to make a career transition. Could be growth, could be financial, could be you know ethnic, could be gender diversity, could be whatever axis you want to sort for. And then go down the list and place where everybody is. And if you don't know, try and figure out, right? You might be surprised to find who actually is not like you and like you and what have you. What you're going to find from that, uh, and this isn't scientific data, this is me encouraging lots of people to do it and then looking at their anecdotal data. One day I'll get a sample size big enough to do something about this. Mm -hmm. um, what you'll find is if you're like most people, about 75 to 80% of the people that you are that are on that list are people that are similar to you already. And about 20% of people are people that are different or where you want to be or, or represent what you want. Great. Don't kick yourself that it's 80-20 because it almost always is. What you know now are these are the 20% of people that I need to spend a disproportionate amount of time with. If I look at my calendar moving forward, do I have a disproportionate number of appointments set with them? Am I going to the places where they are? They're on my target list now. I'm going to be around them. 
to use what you were talking about earlier with the five, right? And you average the five, these are your five now, or these are where you're going to get your five from because you took the time to figure out who represents what I want. Now I'm around those people. Now they're going to introduce me to people who are like them. Now I'm actually leveraging homophily to get where I want to go instead of where I am. Yeah, that's super interesting. uh, We've got our couples goal setting retreat coming up here, which um, if there's anybody who's interested, um, we are officially sold out now and we'll have the online course available. If you go to the onething.com slash training, you'll see that there. Um, but the course or the event is sold out for this year. Um, you can get on the wait list for next year if, if it's of interest. But um, there's this idea of wealth determiners and looking at all the people who, who are you determining wealth for and how are you managing those relationships? And are you, are they, are you being reciprocated appropriately? Are they investing in you appropriately since you're determining wealth for them? And who wakes up every day and determines wealth for you? What are those yeah. relationships? Whether it actually be in the form of employees or um, partners versus best customers. Um, maybe it's your financial advisor. But looking at all the relationships in your world and realizing they actually don't all matter equally. And there's going to be a handful that are going to bring disproportionate value to your life. And are you acting accordingly? Yeah, no, I totally. So my, my wife and I actually went through this because you mentioned it as a couple's thing. My, my wife and I went through this. And we came up with what we called long list, short list, right? So we took all of the relationships that we have and basically, where do we want to go? Who do we want to be around, et cetera? And we made two lists. That way, no one got cut off of the list. Just everybody made the long list. And then there was the short list. The shortlist are people we go out of our way to interact with. We invite them to our house for dinner. We plan vacations together. If we haven't heard from them in four or five weeks, something's wrong, let's go you know, check back in with them. The long list is, well, you know, if it happens, it happens. They, they are our friends. We like them. We're going to invite them to the big Christmas party where everybody comes, but we're not going to spend that disproportionate amount of time with them because yeah. they either don't represent our values or they're not they're, they're not in an industry that we can really, you know, sort of or a, a place where we can really empathize with them as much as we could when we were in college, when we met them or whatever. They're just not, they're great people and we love them, but they're not the people we're going to be deliberate about, shortlist to the people we're going to be deliberate about. What I love about that is basically it gave us permission to forgive ourselves for dropping the ball on tons of people because these are the people we're focused on. We got to right. make sure we do that and everybody else, if it happens, it happens. So I think considering the time of year, you know, that we're looking at our goals for the upcoming year. Um, I would challenge you who's watching or listening to this. What goals will you establish for yourself for the upcoming 12 months? David just mentioned a few things right there. One, just the, the, the annual party where they're able to bring somebody together, whether you realize it or not, that's a purposeful way to invest in relationships. Instead of just waking up and going, who am I going to connect with today? Like That's a purposeful way if it's the annual party where you get to invite everybody. Uh, Jay Papazan started a newsletter for himself personally because he realized that just keeping in touch with people was hard and he's introverted. So it actually um, doesn't fill him up always. It can drain him over time. And so he has a monthly, here's what I'm up to, where he just includes all these things and he's able, that's his purposeful way of staying in touch with people. Maybe for you, it's about getting clarity on who your 20% relationships are and scheduling one dinner a month, whatever that might be. Yet, Here's the call to action. What's one thing you can do such that by doing it would allow you to invest in the relationships that matter most over the next year? What would that answer be? 
David, in your position, considering everything we've talked about, everything that's in friend of a friend, what's the one thing someone can do that would make everything else with their relationships easier or unnecessary? Yeah. So, I mean, I think the biggest thing would probably be this mindset shift between having a network and being in a network. Because when you make that mindset shift, you start, your one thing then becomes social capital is a thing. I need to build up the social capital of the network of people that are around me. And then the answers to how you do that sort of flow from there, right? Mm. Most of us, when we think about networking, we think about meeting strangers and extracting value from them. And that, I mean, just on a straight financial level, that's not how capital works. You'll get into debt really fast. What works is making constant investments into that network. It's about that network, not me. So that would be that would be my one thing is to be searching for opportunities to create capital for the network around you. Can we can we model something out real quick? Yeah. Because this is um, this is something that we see happen a lot when we go in and we do corporate trainings is when we ask some people the question like, "What's the one thing?" They'll give something that's technically like an 18th domino. It's too <laughs> big to knock over, you know. But yeah. the, if you look at like the two inch domino that knocks over the three and a half inch by the 18th domino, it locks over the leaning tower of Pisa. Like even though the, the, the tower is already leaning, you can't run and knock it over on your own. It starts by knocking over the two inch domino and it scales. So you're talking about. The one thing they can do is have a mindset shift from networking to being in a network. Yeah. Let's go smaller. What's the one thing they can do that would make realizing that they're a part of a network rather than networking easier or unnecessary? Okay. So make introductions the goal in most conversations. In other words, you're talking to somebody... But when you're talking to somebody, you're, you know, somebody you said earlier, it's always people selling, nobody buying. Or even if you're thinking I'm trying to help them, the likelihood that what somebody else needs matches a skill set that you have is very minimal. Whereas the likelihood that they have a need that you know someone, someone in your existing knows you that you could introduce them to has the ability to do that. Now, that does two things. Number one, it's just a nice thing to do. You're connecting somebody with the help that they need. But the other is we know from network science, from that whole thing I was talking about with social capital, that a network functions best the more nodes are sort of interacted. This is the old fax machine thing, right? One fax machine was useless. Two was pretty much useless. Once we got scale, it started to become useful. The network of people around you is the same way. What you want is to almost make yourself redundant. You want to be known as the person that made yourself redundant by being generous with your connections. But make that the habit. Every time you're talking to somebody, you are seeking in your mind, not how can I help them, not what impressive thing can I say next, but just, okay, who do I know that could help this person? Who do I know based on what they're telling me right now that would be beneficial? So what I heard, the one thing they can do that would make everything with their relationships easier or necessary is recognizing that they're a part of a network rather than focusing on networking. And the one thing they can do to make that mindset shift is to focus on being the type of person who makes introductions, who makes connections, because you're likely not the person who has everything they need, but leverage six degrees of separation. And the one thing they can do to become that type of person is just once in a conversation a day to ask the question, who do I know who can help this person to yourself? And if they did that every day for, we'll call it 66 days, what would change? I will say, um, and did we, did I cue you up for this before the webinar? Did I tell you we were going here? No, but okay, let's go. 
I, we're crazy. totally uncharted waters for me. I remember <laughs> standing in my kitchen when I heard the Jim Rohn quote for the first time, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. I remember looking down at my scrubs and thinking, I want to be a business owner. And who do I know who's a business owner? The answer was zero. And I remember asking the question, how do I upgrade my five? And I remember hearing, like, be more interested in others than trying to get them to be interesting. And this is before the one thing that I remember thinking, like, the one thing that I could do was just once a day when I had a conversation with somebody to ask myself the question, where does this person need help right now? Whether I could help them or if I knew somebody or not didn't matter. But over a very short period of time, I had become the type of person who in my bones was curious about where people needed help. And about a few months later, I'm standing in front of Jay Papazan for the first time. And I asked him where they needed help. And they said they were looking for exposure for the book. He didn't know that I was connected to all these podcasters, but I got booked on all these shows and I emailed him back. How'd the interviews go? Where are you guys focusing? Where do you need help? And he said, we're looking for more exposure. He didn't know I was writing for Entrepreneur, but I just wrote an article. I didn't even tell him. I blasted it and I followed up again. What are you focused on? How can I help? And it was at that time that he mentioned that he and Gary were looking for a CEO for a publishing company. And again, I looked at my scrubs. I was like, that ain't me. But I knew some people that were. Love it. And I offered to play the connection game. We got on the phone and when he described who they were looking for, he didn't describe the three guys I knew. He described me. And here we are. Mm -hmm. The single reason I'm here. Yeah. No, I love it. When you you begin to realize that the most value you can provide to most people is to be that connection between them and what they actually need. I mean, there, there are times where you can be the help and you can actually be the guy that shows up with the truck and helping them move or whatever, right? But the reality is, that's a terrible example, but you get what I mean. But the, rea- the reality is, it's much more likely that you know somebody. When you get it, when you are actively and make it a habit, 66 days would be more than enough to make it a habit. You're interested in finding that need, and then you're interested in using the connections you already have to, to help that person. You build a tremendous amount of social capital. And this is not an introvert extrovert thing. I, I want to give Lynn actually pointed out earlier introverts don't hate people because I made a joke and said I'm an extrovert. I love yeah. people. You're totally right. We all love people. We should all love people. Um, it's just a question of scale. You're going to do it from one on one conversations or you're going to do it at sort of the mixers, the cocktail parties, what have you. Um, it works the same way either way. Get that genuine interest, find that need. And then who can I connect this person to that would help them? So here's, um, here's a bigger question to consider. Um, someone had mentioned they, they, they'd never been asked these many bigger questions before and they're, they're really having to think it through, which folks, this is, this is the purpose of this, right? That's how you expand your mind. Imagine if five years ago, you started doing this just once a day in a conversation, just asking yourself, how can I help this person? Or who do I know who could help this person? What do you think would be different about your life today if five years ago you started doing that and you were consistent. You're never more than five years from everything you could possibly want per Gary Keller. Mm. And as Zig Ziglar says, you can have everything you in life you want if you help enough other people get what they want. Yeah. How do you become that type of person? Well, where can people learn more about friend of a friend? 
So, uh, I mean, the, probably the best place, I have a really weird last name. So davidburgus.com was available as a URL when I still went out there. Um, B-U-R-K-U-S.com from there. We've got, I mean, more, more important than finding out more about, I mean, I, I hope you buy it like in triplicate, but, and give it to your friends of friends. But reality, we've got a ton of resources on that site just to go deeper with some of these concepts, help tools, like we've got worksheets to help you do that audit network exercise, all of that. It's all at davidburgus.com. Ironically, Right when you go to it, you'll get the question, how can I help you? You'll click on the button about networking and then boom, all of the resources are right there. That's awesome. That's awesome. And for uh, I, I highly suggest people people check it out. Um, it's interesting. For the people who get intentional about forming relationships and set goals around it, it's amazing how much your life can change in a very short period of time. And it's also something that's so easy to cast aside. And so I think that's just considering the time of year, it's a very relevant topic for us to start getting intentional about what that looks like over the next year. And for those of you, um, if you're looking for support in terms of your goal setting retreat, go to the one thing.com slash training, check out the goal setting master course that we just put up there. Um, that's going to be a game changer for people. And, uh, we're, we are moments away from launching the one thing planner. So I would go to the one thing.com slash training and check that out because, uh, that thing will sell out and we're, we're excited to bring it to the market. So David, Thank you so much, man, for being here. I really appreciate you and uh, look forward to keeping in touch. Oh, man. Thank you so much for having me. We'll talk to you soon. Well, there you have it. Our conversation with David Burkus, author of Friend of a Friend. Out of everything you heard in this episode, folks, what's the thing that really stands out to you? If you heard the theme of being the type of person who can bring value to others, What's one thing you learned in this episode that you can use as a tool to bring value to the people in your network, to your friends? Whether that's sharing the entire podcast or talking about an idea from it, we be the type of person that will take action. We hope that you will. It's truly amazing what can happen in your life when you just get purposeful and make a commitment to investing in the relationships that matter most. And that's what we want for you. It's why we make these investments in you on a weekly basis through this podcast. If you do choose to share this and you're one of the people who is hearing this for the first time, consider subscribing to The One Thing. Just click that button on your screen. All future episodes will automatically be downloaded to your device. And if you've not yet, please leave us a rating and review on your podcast player of choice. The feedback comes directly to us It helps us know if we're going down the right track and the type of things that you want to hear more of. It's also great social proof and helps us increase the impact that we can make in other people's lives. So thank you so much for being the type of people who do share this with others. We really do appreciate you and we look forward to being with you in the next episode.